They couldn't just sit there. They had to talk. And how many of you know that sometimes we open mouth and insert foot? Hello, somebody. Am I the only one? I sometimes feel... Like I, there's just you know there's no filter there. I don't have good filter on my body language. Don't have good filter on my what I'm thinking. I mean, you pretty much know with me. You know what I'm thinking, and so that can get you in trouble sometimes. Uh, but you know what? I'm the real deal, Holyfield. I mean, uh, it is what it is. But Eliphaz, Eliphaz continues this conversation uh, with Job, and so if you have your Bibles open to Job chapter five, would you please stand as we read verses one through fifteen? I'll let you sit down after that. But we stand because it's one way that we can reverence and show honor to the Word of God. So today we want the Word of God to move in our hearts, to transform our minds, right? And so make sure that that's your prayer this morning. Job chapter 5 beginning at verse 1, Eliphaz continues, Call out if you please. Will anyone answer you? Which of the holy ones will you turn to? For anger kills a fool, and jealousy slays the gullible. I have seen a fool taken root, but I immediately pronounced a curse on his home. His children are far from safety. They are crushed at the city gate with no one to rescue them. The hungry consume his harvest, even taking it out of the thorns. The thirsty paint for his children's wealth, or pant for his children's wealth. For distress does not grow out of the soil, And trouble does not sprout from the ground. But mankind is born for trouble, as surely as sparks fly upward. However, if I were you, Eliphaz says to Job, I would appeal to God and would present my case to Him. He does great and unsearchable things, wonders without number. He gives rain to the earth and sends water to the fields. He sets the lowly on high and mourners are lifted to safety. He frustrates the schemes of the crafty so that they achieve no success. He traps the wise in their craftiness so that the plans of the deceptive are quickly brought to an end. They encounter darkness by day and they grope at noon as if it were night. He saves the needy from their sharp words and from the clutches of the powerful. Let us pray. Dear most gracious Heavenly Father, we need you. Oh, we need you. We need you to speak into our hearts. We need you to uh, remove any distractions or any calluses of our ears or hearts that would cause your word not to be able to penetrate and get through and transform. And so, Father God, in this place, by the moving of your Holy Spirit, by the reading of your word, transform us. Change us. Change an attitude. change Change a decision. Change a life. Change a heart. Change the soul's destination in here that is heading to hell. God, we love you and we thank you for first loving us. Hide me behind that old rugged cross that these people here today would not see me, but that they would see you living in me in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Oh, Eliphaz, he continues giving advice. We'll pick up here in just a minute in the following verses. But listen to me, some advice, no doubt about it, some advice is good that Eliphaz gives here. When he... For instance, when he says uh, mankind is born for trouble, that's a that's a old bump, what we call bumper sticker theology, a short statement that has a lot of rich truth to it. Man is born for trouble. From the time that we enter this world full of sin, sickness, and sorrow, there's all kinds of trouble. So some of Eliphaz's advice is good. And listen to what I'm about to tell you. You and I have to learn 
how to filter and sift through the advice of life. You have to learn how to sift and filter because some advice is good, some constructive criticism is good, some people that have experienced similar things to you have some great insight to offer. But you've got to have that discernment to know that not all advice is good advice. In fact, listen to me, you ever heard that old expression, take it with a grain of salt? You know where that came from? So salt in the ancient world was rare, it was expensive, and it was considered medicine. It was considered medicine. And so the old Latin expression, uh, take it with a grain of salt, literally translated as cum grano salus, cum grano salus in the Latin. Cum grano salus means take it with a grain of salt. And here's what it meant. There are some people's advice that you need to take with a little bit of medicine. Because their advice may make you ill. Their advice may lead you astray. So take it, kuma salus, kuma grano salus, meaning take it with a grain of salt. Some people mean well. They have great intentions. And perhaps we could say Eliphaz had a, had a good heart and he was there to support Job. And then he just started flapping them gums. The, the, those gums were going faster than his brain could compute. And then his brain could connect. And so you and I, listen, we have to have the discernment to know which advice we need to follow. Just because someone is a Christian, just because someone has been your trusted friend, doesn't mean their advice is what you need to follow. Listen, sometimes uh, we need to spend a whole lot more time in prayer than sitting with Oprah. We need to spend a whole lot more time in prayer than, than listening to our neighbor or listening to a friend. I, I think, quite frankly... Uh, the reason why some of us don't pray is because we don't want to hear what God has to say. Amen. We don't want to hear what God wants us to do. So here's what we do. We, we talk about prayer and we say we're going to pray, but then we're like, mm, I know what he's going to tell me. Mm. I, know, I know what he's going to want me to do. And whoo, I, I ain't going to do that, so maybe if I don't pray, I, I won't have to follow that. No, you know in your heart of hearts what you're supposed to do. So some advice, including Eliphaz, had some truth to it. No doubt about it. There were some nuggets of truth that could be gleaned. Uh, but Eliphaz is very inconsiderate of all that Job has just gone through. We talked about that last week. Uh, by the way, not only do you need to take some advice with a grain of salt, but let's just be honest, some advice is terrible. I read this this week when I was preparing for this sermon about bad advice. Here's some advi bad advice. If you see a bear and you don't have time to run away, just hug it. Because bears cannot scratch their own bellies. Good luck with that one. I just see somebody, you know, they read that somewhere in a Reader's Digest or something, and they're out in the woods one day and that old bear comes up to them, and you can't run, so you say, I think I'll need a hug. <laughs> because they can't scratch their bellies. Lord have mercy. Go try that and come back to me and tell me how it works when you're all bandaged up. Eliphaz had some good advice, but Job needed to have that filter and he needed to be able to sift through the bad versus the good advice. Uh, like I said earlier, um, Eliphaz implicated Job when he said, Who's, who are you going to talk to? Where are you going to get an answer from? Go to God. He says, if I were you, I'd go to God. Now, what's so interesting about that is he's assuming, like people do a lot of times, don't assume, 
We all know what it does. I won't go there. Um, he's assuming that Job hasn't talked to God. And Eliphaz is even assuming that God is not the one behind all this and that there wasn't a meeting in the, in the other dimension between God, the angel, and the, and the devil. In other words, Eliphaz has a lot of assumptions here like your friends and my friends, and those assumptions are not accurate. Those assumptions are not true. But if that's where Eliphaz starts from, can you see how now he just he, all of his advice comes from a point of ignorance? He didn't know all this, and so he's just spouting. He, he's just, he's just, you know, uh, just continuing to lecture Job on what he ought to do. Let's pick up in verse 16 where we left off. Verse 16. So the poor have hope, and injustice shuts its mouth. See how happy the man is God corrects? So do not reject the discipline of the Almighty. For He crushes, but He also binds up. He strikes, but His hands also heal. He will rescue you from six calamities. No harm will touch you in seven. In famine He will redeem you from death and in battle from the power of the sword. You will be safe from slander and not fear destruction when it comes. You will laugh at destruction and hunger and not fear the animals of the earth. For you will have a covenant with the stones of the field and the wild animals will be at peace with you. You will know that your tent is secure. And nothing will be missing when you inspect your home. You will also know that your offspring will be many and your descendants like the grass of the earth. You will approach the grave in full vigor as a stack of sheaves is gathered in its season. We have investigated this and it is true. Hear it and understand it for yourself. Again, listen, hey, there's some good stuff there. Good, good advice, good little nuggets, right? Even a blind hog will find an acorn every once in a while. So, so really, Eliphaz is no different from many of your friends. Job responds in chapter 6. So from the time all this stuff has happened, from the time, if you haven't been with us, from the time that Job lost his sheep, his oxen, his donkeys, and his own children, after he goes through all of that, and then he's covered in boils from head to toe, after he's gone through all that, chapter 6 is the first time that we hear from him. You can just put yourself in, jo in Job's sandals. Eliphaz has been sitting here talking and yammering and yammering and yammering. And Job's like, mm, mm. and then he's waiting. And as soon as Eliphaz took a breath, Job says, well, let me tell you something. <laughs> and so that's what we find in Job chapter 6. Pick up there with me. Then Job answered, turn to your neighbor and say, Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Job finally spoke. If only my grief could be weighed, and my devastation placed with it in the scales. Consider all that Job had faced, all that he had lost, all that he had been through. What he's saying is here is, look at all this that I've carried. Weigh the stress that I've been under. Before you say another word, Eliphaz, before you keep flapping them gums, think about what I've just gone through. He's literally telling him, weigh what I've been through. Put it on the scales. And he says, for then it would outweigh the sand of the seas. That is why my words are rash. Surely the arrows of the Almighty have pierced me. My spirit drinks their poison. God's terrors are arrayed against me. Does a wild donkey bray over fresh grass? Or an ox low over its fodder? Is bland food eaten without salt? Is there flavor in an egg white? 
Some of you don't like egg whites. There's theology for you right there. You see it? Isn't that interesting? Come to my house at Thanksgiving. Uh, there's somebody in here today that doesn't eat those. But anyway, and it's not me. I love them. Is there flavor in an egg white? I refuse to touch them. They're like contaminated food. If only my request would be granted and God would provide what I hope for. That He would decide to crush me, to unleash His power and cut me off. It would still bring me comfort and I would leap for joy and unrelenting pain that I have not denied the words of the Holy One. Turn to your neighbor and say, that's good stuff right there. He's just been through all of that. He's just experienced that hardship and trial and loss, but yet he says, I'd go through all that and I'd hang on to the truth and I would not deny the words of the Holy One. Verse 11, what strength do I have that I should continue to hope? What is my future that I should be patient? Is my strength out of a stone or my flesh made of bronze? Job is saying here, I'm a human and I've been experiencing some hardships and some difficulties. Since I cannot help myself, the hope for success has been banished from me. A despairing man should receive loyalty from his friends. Hello, somebody. Loyalty from his friends. Even if he abandons the fear of the Almighty. My brothers are as treacherous as the wadi, as seasonal streams that overflow and become darkened because of ice, and the snow melts into them. The wadis evaporate in warm weather. They disappear from their channels in hot weather. Caravans turn away from their routes. They go into the desert and perish. The caravans of Tima look for these streams. The traveling merchants of Sheba hope for them. They are ashamed because they have been confident of finding water. When they arrive, when they arrive there, they are frustrated. So this is what you have now become to me. When you see something dreadful, you are afraid. Have I ever said, give me something? Or pay a bribe for me from your wealth? Or deliver me from the enemy's power? Or redeem me from the grasp of the ruthless? Teach me and I will be silent. That's tongue-in-cheek. That's a little sarcasm. Some of you are like, oh, I like that. <laughs> Help me understand what I did wrong. How painful, honest words can be. But what does your rebuke prove, Eliphaz? Do you think that you can disprove my words or that a despairing man's words are mere wind? No doubt. You would cast lots. Now, I'm going to tell you something. You think you've cut down one of your friends or one of your enemies? This cut down right here is tough. He says, no doubt you would cast lots for a fatherless child and negotiate a price to sell your friend. Gracious. You think he was probably, I bet, his, I bet his eyes got a little watery at that one. I bet he did one of these right here. That's pretty, that's pretty harsh. But now, please look at me. Would I lie to your face? Reconsider. Don't be unjust. Reconsider. My righteousness is still the issue. Is there injustice on my tongue, or can my palate not taste disaster? In other words, remember that Eliphaz started with this false theology. You have sin in your life, therefore God's angry. Job says, reconsider. Job says, wrong. Job says, think again. Job was a man of integrity and was righteous and was, in, and was 
before God and before his fellow man did not have this unconfessed sin that Eliphaz is, is confronting him with. So he's saying, reconsider what you're saying here and you'll realize that your accusations are false, your assumptions are wrong. Job finally speaks and expresses all this and you can just hear the passion. You can hear the, the authentic cry of Job. And again, this goes back to what I've told you. I, I, I know the book of Job for many is a struggle because it's so painful and it's, it's so, uh, it has such dark things that happen to Job in it. But listen to me, I believe that that proves the authenticity of Scripture. Because if this were like a made-up book or a fable, they would have edited that part out. They, just like a movie is put together and they go back and review it and they say, let's take that part out. It doesn't fit the overall theme. It doesn't complement the movie. It doesn't complement the narrative. Books like Job would have been edited out. But yet because it's still there for us to read today, because it's still there for us to discern from, because it's still there for us so that we can apply it to our trials that we go through and our sickness and our tragedies that we face, because it's there, as blunt and painful as it sometimes is, to me, it shows how genuine the Word of God is. It shows how real this is. I don't know how many of you have had the carpet ripped out from under your feet. I don't know how many of you have just been going along with life and just all of a sudden, just bam, something just hits you. But the book of Job has ministered to me and minister, it wants to minister to you and speak to your heart as you go through these things, as you experience life, as you go through this, this struggle. The Word of God is there to say, here's the path. Here's what you can know. Here's what you can do. Here's how you're going to get through to the other side. Because those of you that have already gone to Job chapter 42 are those of you that know the rest of the story. You know that Job at the end is so doubly blessed and, and has, has trusted the promises of God and remained faithful even through it all, even through doubts and questions and hardships and heartache and heartbreak and humility. Through it all, he trusted even when things didn't make sense. He seems hopeless and miserable in this chapter. He actually desires that God would crush him. He, he actually expresses this honesty. You know, why? Why? Have you ever, have you ever asked that question, why? In those moments, by the way, when the carpet is ripped out from under you, in those moments where you, like Job, feel crushed, can I just tell you the best thing for you to do is to do what Job did and pour your heart out to God. Amen. Don't hold back. Don't bottle up those tears. Let God bottle them up. Amen. Did you know that? That's scriptural. Yeah. Let me draw your attention to a very rare, obscure passage. Uh, Psalm chapter 56 and verse 8. Psalm 56 and 8. This, this is for somebody here today that has been going through a trial, going through a heartache. Psalm 56, 8. Do not bottle up your tears, ladies and gentlemen. When you cry, here's what happens. When you shed tears, here's what God in heaven does. When you have cried, 
when you have boo 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 and you do that snot bubbles and you just you I mean you were just a wreck, right? Here's what it says in Psalm 56 and verse 8. You yourself have recorded my wanderings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your records? God has a bottle of your tears. God has a bottle of your tears. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, why would he do that? He's collecting your tears for a future event. He's collecting every tear you've ever cried, every time you have felt wrong, every time you have been hurt, every time you've gone through this thing called life and you face these things and you cried. Here's what's so awesome. God puts those in a bottle. And you, in the future, are going to replicate what the woman did when she took her tears. See, here's what happens. When a woman is a widow, you ready for this? When a woman is a widow in the ancient Israel, they take a little vial and they collect their tears and they wore it in a necklace that they wore around their neck and they saved it. And when that woman that had carried that vial around her neck for years, when she encountered Jesus, you know what she did? She used those tears to wash the feet of Jesus. So here's what's so amazing. On a future day, on a future day, all those tears that you've shed... All those tears that you've cried, when you get to heaven, you're going to get your bottle. Some are going to have big bottles. Some of you that think you're too strong, you're going to have little bitty bottles. You're going to get that bottle, and when you encounter Jesus Christ, you're going to know exactly what to do. You're going to kneel down before Him, and you're going to use your bottle of tears to wash the blessed feet of Jesus Christ. He saves your tears. They are not wasted tears. They're sometimes wasted years. Wasted years. Oh, how There are wasted years, but there are no wasted tears. There's no wasted tears. He collects every one of them. He keeps them as a record. And you're going to be presented with a beautiful gift of your tears in a bottle. And you're going to have the opportunity to watch Jesus' feet just like that woman did. I just, woo! That gives me goosebumps, y'all. That's awesome. Amen, preacher. Preach it. If I got to do my job and your job, we'll get twice as long. God knows your pain. The same God that collects your tears knows the numbers of hairs on your head. Now, for some of you, that's easier to count than others. But listen, for all of us, even some that are follically challenged. <laughs> no, that's, that's a new word. You can't, you can't say follically. Follically challenged. Follically challenged. So for people, for everybody here today, whether you've got beautiful, luxurious, thick, lovely lady locks, or whether you got whether you got some missing spots, or whether you just got a head. <laughs> Watch this. God knows the numbers of hairs on your head. And did you know this? It changes on average a hundred times a day. Even for the follicular challenge. They got the little baby hairs. He knows, he knows the numbers. He knows the numbers 
even though it changes a hundred times a day, a hundred times a day, he's keeping up with it. So what does that tell you? That tells you you got a God that cares about you. Every time you're doing this and your hair, your hair's going everywhere, God's got to draw. Change. Change again. Quit combing your hair. He knows the numbers of hairs on your head. I know that's kind of funny and comical and we make a joke of it, but here's what it tells me. I've got a God in heaven that cares about the details. A hair. A follicle. Have you ever thought about that? No, not like that. He cares about the small things. He cares so much for you. And He keeps every one of your tears in a bottle. And He keeps count of your hairs. He keeps up with you. There's been times where I'm like, I'm glad somebody's keeping up with me because I can't even keep up with myself. He knows everything that you're going through. He knows everything that you face. And by the way, one day, one day, when we leave this world of sin, sickness, and sorrow, He's going to do one other thing with your tears. Revelation chapter 21 and verse 4. Revelation 21 and verse 4. Revelation of Jesus Christ in Revelation chapter 21 and verse 4. He, being God, will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will no longer exist. Turn to your neighbor and say, that's good news. Death will no longer exist. Grief, crying, and pain will exist no longer because... The previous things have passed away. God knows. God cares. And God loves. Let's pray. Dear most gracious Heavenly Father, God, if you keep up with the numbers of hairs on our heads, if you collect our tears in a bottle, and if you one day will wipe away those tears,